Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. Now be honest, how many of you are here for the eight o'clock service? <laughs> I use that joke every year. For some reason, I think I preach every year on this Sunday and uh, it never gets old, at least for me. Probably gotten old for you at this point. Hey, you've probably heard the saying that it's a good thing God made babies cute. Because how else would we be able to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning to go change a diaper or to go feed a crying, hungry baby? In fact, I just want you to imagine for one moment that that baby grows up to be a 25-year-old. And they still cry at 3 a.m. in the morning asking for mom and dad to come change their diaper and feed them. We laugh at that and go, that's absurd. But that's sort of the illustration that Paul is going to give us this morning as we continue our series in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul is really going to tell this church in so many words that it's time for them to grow up, to mature. And so right off the top, I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you brought it with you this morning, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we want to offer you a Bible in the seat underneath you somewhere around you there, those black Bibles, and you can find 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 on page 925 of those black Bibles. Now, as you're turning there, let me just share a little bit of what we've learned so far in this study. If you're just joining us, obviously we've gone through two chapters, and here's what we've learned. We've learned that church Churches are not programs or buildings. They're people. People who have been called by God. That just means they've been set apart by God. And we've also learned in the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians that people are imperfect. Therefore, churches are imperfect. Can I get an amen to that? We've been seeing this specifically in the church of Corinth. And so Paul writes this imperfect church in Corinth, this letter where he has been addressing some of the problems that have been going on in this church family. Problems, by the way, that still happen in churches today. Specifically, we've been in a section where Paul is addressing a division that is taking place in this church. And if you've been with us, you've seen that the reason for this division is that different people in the church are aligning themselves with different teachers. And if you don't align yourself with my teacher, then we've got a problem. And so there's discord, there's division, there's brokenness within this church family. And Paul is writing them, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way for you to live together as a church. And in fact, being the brilliant pastor that he is, here's what Paul has been doing. He's been reminding them not about what divides them, but what actually unites them. And if you've been here the last two weeks, we have seen the two things that unite us as a church still today are the cross of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as Jeff showed us last week. That's what makes us a church. It's not human leaders. It is the cross of Christ and the Holy Spirit that unites us. But of course, this church, they're not united. And in this next section, Paul is going to tell them why it's not happening. And let me just give you the reason right off the top if you use message notes. It's because the Corinthians are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. The Corinthians are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. What am I talking about? Well, last week at the end of chapter 2, we saw how Paul contrasted two kinds of people. There are people who have the Holy Spirit and people who do not have the Holy Spirit. It's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. As Jeff showed us, when a person is born again, 
At that moment, they are given the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of them. But just because we have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we're walking in the Spirit. It doesn't mean we're living in the Spirit. It doesn't mean we're being led by the Spirit. And according to Paul, that's the problem that's going on here in this church in Corinth. And because of that, they're not growing. They're not maturing. And really, the whole big idea of where we're headed this morning is simply this. Paul wants this church to grow. God still wants our church to grow. And if you're following, when we are walking in the Spirit, we will see growth. When we're walking in the Spirit, we will see growth. There are things that we can expect to have happen as individuals and as a church family when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We won't remain as babies. We will grow up. Well, that's not happening in certain areas in the church of Corinth, and Paul wants to address that this morning, get them on the path towards maturity and growth. So let's take a look at this passage starting in verse 1. In fact, let's read it out loud together on our notes there. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Then he says in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. Now, friends, before I kind of unpack those verses, we're going to take a little time out here. We're going to veer in a little direction because, believe it or not, what we have right there are some of the most debated verses in all of Scripture, especially in the last 20 years or so. There's lots of books been written, lots of ink been spilled. In fact, I'll just share with you, this is something I have thought myself a lot about. What's the fuss? What's the controversy? Well, there's been this controversy over the last 20 years or so around something called lordship salvation. Lordship salvation. The central question in this controversy is simply, can a person be a Christian without making Jesus their Lord? In other words, are there two different kinds of Christians? Are there Christians who just have Jesus as Savior And then there are Christians who have Jesus as Savior and Lord. This was made famous by an illustration several years ago by Campus Crusade for Christ. I bet you some of you have seen this illustration. I've used this illustration. It's a helpful illustration, and yet it can also be misleading. Let me show you the illustration. They show a picture. Here is a person who does not know Christ. Christ is outside of the boundaries of their life. And in this situation, that person is the God of their own life. They sit on the throne of their own life. That's a description of someone who is not a Christian. Then they show this picture. This is a picture of a Christian, right? We have set aside our right to be God of our own lives, and we're giving Jesus the place of authority, the throne in our lives. And so he sits there. But then they show a third Christian. They're calling this a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian, and it looks like that. Where I still sit on the throne of my life, I am still literally the Lord of my life, and yet Jesus is a part of it. He's my Savior here. Now, again, I will say that diagram is helpful and misleading. Here's why it's helpful, because it reminds us there are times and there are areas in our lives, even as Christians, where Jesus doesn't have authority, right? And yet it can be misleading, and this is where this debate comes in, is because the question is, can a person who never lets Jesus have the throne of their life, never lets him be Lord, really be called a Christian? 
Now again, I just want to be very clear up front here. We are all going to have times, probably several times a day, if you're anything like me, where Jesus does not occupy the throne. Amen? We call that sin. He is not Lord of my life all of the time. I place my own desires ahead of him all the time, friends. Do Christians still sin? Yes, we do. But the real issue we're talking about here is what about a person who continually purposefully, habitually refuses to give Jesus that place of lordship in their life? What is their status? This is a question I get asked maybe more than any other question. Can Jesus die on a cross, forgive all my sins, but then not be the Lord of my life and tell me how to live? Because quite honestly, that'd be a great deal, wouldn't it? If Jesus is Savior and not Lord, that means he'll forgive all my sins and I don't have to do anything he tells me to do. I get to be my own boss. I'm good at that. I get to be my own God. Of course, you know it doesn't work like that, right? Jesus is Savior and Lord. He saves us from our old way of life. Praise God, he forgives us, and yet he calls us into a new way of life, a way of life where we allow him to have ultimate authority over who we are. Maybe a story would be helpful for you. I read this from a pastor this week. He said, A buddy of mine many, many years ago committed adultery on his wife repeatedly and with multiple other women. I finally sat down and met with him. He didn't go to my church, but we sat down and I said, look, are you a Christian? You say you're a Christian. Are you a Christian? He said, yes, I'm a Christian. So I said to him, well, how in the world do you justify repeatedly, unrepentedly, unremorsefully committing adultery on your wife with lots of different gals? He said exactly this, well, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. He'll forgive all my sins, but I still get to decide what I'm going to do. He can't tell me what to do. And I looked at him and I said, you think Jesus is going to take that deal? I'm telling you, he's not. He's not going to say, you go ahead and do whatever you like, and I'm good with that, and in the end, I'll take you to heaven. Now listen, Jesus died to forgive sin to change us, to be our Lord, so that we stop being our own God and he becomes our God, and then we live a new life, something we just sang about, where we don't do the same things we used to do because we are new people. That's why when you read through the Bible, sometimes when people have an encounter with God as Lord, he literally gives them a new name. There's that much transformation going on, that much transformation that takes place. Old things have passed away. New things have come. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We just sang about that. It's all this language Jeff talked about last week, if you were here, about being born again. We start a new life with God sitting on the throne. I'll give you a couple of examples uh, from Scripture where we see this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus is born. And what do we learn about him right away? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the what? Literally, Jesus means God saves. He is Savior. And yet, he is also Lord. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born to be Savior and Lord. He's Lord and Savior. We can't split those two. So again, to answer this question, for a person who has habitual, unrepentant sin. Now again, I have habitual sin in my life. But habitual, unrepentant sin where there's no remorse. 
And there's no desire at all to grow or to mature or to change. It has to be questioned whether they truly have the Spirit of God in their lives. Because the Spirit of God is going to help us grow. So that brings us back to our text. Aren't you glad? Are you exhausted yet? And the first question that's debated is in verse 1. And it's this. Are the Corinthians Christians or are they non-Christians? And the answer is they are Christians. We know that because he refers to them as brothers and sisters. They're part of the family of God who have the spirit of God as we saw last week. But here's the key. They're still babies. They're still infants, Paul says. Or if you're following on your notes here, the Corinthians are Christians but are still immature. They are what we would call worldly, the NIV says. Living like the world or literally in the Greek, they are in the flesh still walking in the flesh in certain areas of their lives. So he can't refer to them as people who are walking in the Spirit because they're allowing sin in their lives to keep them off track. Jesus does not have authority in certain areas. That's why he refers to them as infants needing milk. Now, I love that because if you've been here, you realize the thing that the Corinthians want most is to be considered mature and wise. They want to have all the secret wisdoms and all these kinds of things. We've seen this, right? And so for Paul to come out and say, you're a bunch of babies still. That had to hit him right here in the heart, right? But he's saying, you're not maturing. You're not growing the way God intends you to grow if you were walking in the Spirit. In fact, let me put it this way again if you're on your notes. While they have the Holy Spirit, he is not in charge in certain areas. While they have the Holy Spirit, he's not in charge in certain areas. Listen, they have the Holy Spirit of God, and yet they're not letting him lead. They're quenching him. They're stubborn. They're resisting. I can relate to this. But their growth is being stunted because they're acting like the world. They're not living according to who God has now made them to be. What area of their life is being stunted? Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 3. He says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Now, what a fascinating question that is. As Christians, we're no longer mere humans. (laughs) For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? The evidence that they're walking in the flesh, Paul gives, is what? If you're on your notes, there is jealousy and quarreling among them. There is jealousy and quarreling among them. Now, you might be going, well, that's not too bad. What's a little bit of jealousy? What's a little bit of quarreling? But Paul says, you want to know a surefire way to know that you're not walking in step with the Spirit? And you're walking in the flesh instead? It's when jealousy and quarreling show up in your life. You can know for sure. That's when God is not on the throne. You've probably read through the New Testament before, and every once in a while, it seems like out of nowhere, a list pops up 
that kind of describes what it looks like when a person is walking in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. In fact, we're going to see one of those lists later in 1 Corinthians 6. But I think it's worth us examining this a little bit more. The most famous of these lists is in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul literally contrasts what a person looked like who walks in the flesh as opposed to somebody who's walking in the spirit. So starting in verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Can you see? These two things are constantly in tension. They are also in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, here's one of the lists that we're talking about. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, that's the same idea in our passage, right? Quarreling, jealousy, oh, there's our exact word, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. There are other lists Paul gives, but again, here's what I want to say to you. You read that and go, "Uh uh-oh, I've done one of those. Is that what we're talking about here? We're all going to fall into one of those. It's called sin. What he's saying is those who live by that. Did you see the last verse? Those who make that the regular pattern of their life and there's no remorse. It's time to ask yourself the question, am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? Because when you have the Spirit of God, certain things are going to happen. What kind of things? Well, Paul gives another list, and we like this list. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, there will be fruit. There will be evidence when we are being led by the Spirit. You can expect those kind of things to be happening in your life if you're following on your notes. When we are walking in the Spirit, we will grow in maturity. When we're walking in the flesh, we will fall into things like jealousy and quarreling. When we're walking in the Spirit, we will grow in maturity. I'm going to make it as simple as possible for you. We will begin to look more like Jesus. It's His Spirit in us. And His desire is for us to transform, to become more and more like Him. The Corinthians have stunted their growth by walking in the flesh instead of the Spirit, especially when it comes to how they're relating to one another. And so in the next verses, Paul is going to say, come on. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. And here's the cool thing. He's going to tell them how that happens. And it's not the way we would normally think about it as humans. Let's look at verse 5 together. It says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, 
as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Now read verse 7 on your notes out loud with me there. It says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I'll keep going. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. According to these verses, how does a person grow? How does a person mature? How do we walk in the spirit? How do we bear fruit? How do we become more like Jesus? If you're following, to grow in maturity, we must go to the right source. We must go to the right source. I went to Barnes and Noble yesterday, and you've probably seen this if you've gone to a bookstore lately, although nobody goes to stores anymore. But I just noticed like self-help books are everywhere. I looked it up. It's an $11.17 billion industry in the United States, self-improvement. People want to grow. People want to mature. We're obsessed with it. We want to find fulfillment and happiness and meaning. The Corinthians are obsessed with it as well. They want to be considered mature. They want to be considered wise. But Paul calls them babies. Why? Because they're looking for the wrong source for growth. They think it's Paul that's going to make them grow. They think it's Apollos that's going to help them grow. They think it's Peter that's going to help them grow. But Paul dismisses that. He says, we're not the reason that you grow. In fact, he calls he and Apollos servants, which in the original language literally means table waiters. We're just table waiters. We're just delivering the goods from another source, from the cook who's in the kitchen here. And his point is, would you ever put a waiter on a pedestal? Of course not. The real work of growth in your life is done by God. Paul and Apollos are no more than instruments through whom God does his work. And so if you're on your notes, true growth is always God-given. True growth is always God-given. Please hear me. There's no source outside of God himself, including Jeff, including me, that is going to help you grow than God himself. Paul uses the image of agriculture to make his point again. Let's look at his argument from the beginning. He says to the Corinthians, you're immature. You know how I know this? Because you're walking in the flesh. You know how I know this? Because there's jealousy and quarreling among you, and you're putting teachers on pedestals as if that's how you're going to grow. You think I can help you grow? You think I'm going to be the cause of that? That's like saying a shovel is what produces a crop. I may have planted seeds, and Apollos has watered those seeds, but neither of us are the source of your growth Only God can help you grow. Stop thinking the way the world does. Friends, this may be one of the most important lessons you can learn about growing in your faith if you're a Christian. Growth in the Christian life is not something you can produce on your own. Can I just say that again? We don't believe that. Growth in your Christian life is not something you can produce on your own. We believe when we say that the gospel is that I'm saved by grace through faith alone. We always get an amen with that. But would you believe, not this time, I guess, right? (laughs) But do you also believe that growth in Christ is by grace through faith alone? (laughs) That only God can help you grow and mature into the person you want to become. Growth is not going to come by reading the right book. 
or listening to the right preacher or having the right mentor. Now listen to me, it doesn't mean those things are unimportant. God may very well use those things to help you grow, but the growth doesn't come from them. God is the source of all growth. Listen, a shovel can't grow plants. It can help cultivate the soil that will then help grow plants, but a shovel's just a shovel. It's just a tool. So what do we do to grow? How do we mature? Jesus gives us the answer using another agricultural metaphor in John 15. Can we read verse 5 out loud together on our notes there? It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Drum roll here. Ready? Here's the key to growth. Abiding in Christ. That's all you got. That's all I got. You want to grow and you want to mature if you're following on your notes? The key is abiding in Christ. Now, that's not a word we use much today anymore, abide. But it's a word that is vitally important. If you want to grow and mature in your faith, if you're following, it simply means to stay constantly connected to the source of life. To stay constantly connected to the source of life. And who is the source of our life? It's Jesus. You can't grow unless you're intimately connected to Jesus. This is one of the more transformational passages in my life, John 15. And I saw this picture once, and it really hit home for me. Maybe it'll hit home for you, too. This is literally a vine from a grape, um, from an orchard. What is that stuff flowing out of the vine? It's okay. Sap. What causes the branch to actually bear fruit when it's connected to a vine? Can the branch say to itself, I'm going to try really hard to produce fruit and then go, no, it doesn't have to do anything. It simply allows the life sap to flow from the vine into the branches, and then over time, fruit begins to grow. The incredible good news for you, the incredible good news for me is not just that salvation is by grace through faith alone, but that growth is as well. It's not about striving. It's not about trying harder. It's not about self-help, self-improvement, or self-actualization. In fact, I will just say to you, the harder you try and strain to produce fruit in your life from sources outside of God, the more frustrated and fruitless you're going to end up being. You know why I know? Because I've been there and I've done that. Our part is simply stay connected to Christ, and as we do that, you get to draw spiritual nourishment from him. His sap flows into your life and nothing will hold you back from the most abundant life possible. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. We don't have to make that some mystical thing. It just means to stay constantly connected to Christ. Jesus says, if you do that, I'll grow you up. I'll grow you up. Now, does that mean you're going to instantly become mature when you abide? Absolutely not. A fruit tree doesn't bear fruit the first year sometimes, right? Even the second year sometimes. It takes time. It also takes pruning. I don't like that part in my life. But God knows sometimes I need some pruning. If I really want to grow and mature, it takes those things. But over time, 
as we develop that deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, we will see growth. And according to these verses, we're going to see growth in two specific areas. Here's how we'll close today. Number one, we will see growth in our inward character. We will see growth in our inward character. This is the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about here. We will begin to move away from things like jealousy and quarreling and move towards things like love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. You see, it's simply impossible for you to abide in Christ and not begin to see transformation. It's impossible. Again, it might not be as fast as you hope it is, but it's impossible if you're really abiding in Christ, if you're really digging into that source of life, for you not to begin to see growth and change. You can't begin to not develop the fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit of God is in you. Life is an ongoing process of sanctification. It's not going to happen all at once. For some people it does. You've seen those stories. But for most of us, God is just working on us. It's a process. It's growing but there will be change. And so here's my first question. Can you look back in your life and look back and say, there's an area that God has really grown me up. There's an area where I can really see some transformation in my life. I've seen growth here. Some of you know a lot about this. You know, we all love those stories. Well, I was a drug dealer. I found myself in prison and then I came to Christ and everything's changed since then. For the most of us here, that's not our story. But can we say, man, I've become a little bit more loving than I used to be. Or I'm much more patient than I was as a father and as a husband. Or I have more self-control in areas that I didn't used to have control in. We need to celebrate those things just as much because it's the Spirit of God at work in us. When I was in high school, I had a terrible problem with gossip. Looking back on it, you want to know why? It was because I was insecure. And you know what gossip does? It gives a person power over another person who are insecure. And so I would constantly talk negatively about other people, but I had the Spirit of God in me, and the Spirit of God in me said, this is not the fruit of the Spirit that I want in your life, Steve. And so I confessed that to him. I brought that to him. I exposed it to him. It didn't change immediately overnight, but I will say with you, in all confidence, that is something that God has grown in me. I don't have the temptation to gossip anymore. Praise God, I celebrate that fact. What do you celebrate? Second question is, what areas still need growing in your life? For some of you, it's kind of obvious. It's all out there for us all to see. But for most of us, it's less obvious because we like to keep our sins private. Or we've learned to justify them. Or we have excuses like, well, that's just my personality. And we put up our defense mechanism. Some of you are here and you're just harsh, mean, overbearing husbands or wives. And you say, well, I can't help it. You think God wants to speak into that? Wants to help you grow in that over time? I think he does. Some of you here are favoring one child over the other. Is the Spirit convicting you about that? How do I show love to all of my children? in those ways. For some of you, it's your finances. Let's just be honest. You don't want to give Jesus lordship over your finances. For some of you, it's sexual boundaries. I'll give him every other area of my life, but in this area, this is mine. I don't want him to have the throne. For some of you, it's friendships. For some of you, it's work ethic. I don't know what it is for you. Can I tell you this week, again, sometimes it just stinks being a pastor, you know? Because when you're studying this stuff, you know he's going to reveal something to you. And so here I am, and he's like, 
you got a problem with complaining. But I like complaining. I like throwing pity parties for myself. I like getting people's attention. He said, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. You're robbing yourself of joy. And so I want to grow in that area. Now here's the key. What do I need to do in order to grow in this area of complaining? Here's what I would have done in the past. I would have gone and find the latest and greatest book, 10 Ways to Stop Complaining. Or I would have probably gone to another purpose. Or I would have found myself in the cycle that all of us are familiar with where I confess the sin of complaining. I promise to God that I'm not going to complain anymore. I find myself complaining one hour later, so I confess my sin to God, and so on, and so on, and so on. The circle continues. Why? Because I'm going to a source outside of God himself in order to try to change. I'm going to a book. I'm going into my own power, my own willpower. I'm trying to fix my own problem. I'm trying to grow out of that sin. But I want to tell you what Paul is telling us and what Jesus is telling us. Abide in Christ. Bring him your burden. Expose your darkness to his glorious light. What does this mean? It means seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in fasting. Seek him in confession. Seek him in worship. Maybe he will point you to a tool, a book, a person. But don't go to those sources first. First go to him and let him reveal to you how he wants you to grow in this area because we can trust that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God cares more about your life than even you do. That's good news. And so for me, this week, it's been as simple as I'm going to sit in prayer and simply say, here it is. I like to complain. But I want to develop more joy. And I'm just sitting there in silence. I'm abiding. I'm letting him deal with me. So far, he hasn't shown me the latest and greatest book. I'm waiting But I believe, I trust that over time as I continue to expose that to him and bring that to him, he who began a good work in me will see it to completion. I will see fruit. Second thing that's going to happen when we learn to walk in the spirit is we will see growth in our outward service. We will see growth in our outward service. I hope we don't miss what Paul is saying in this section with the metaphor of gardening. I think Pastor Brian is going to talk about this a little more next week, but let's just scratch the surface here. He's saying God is the gardener. He's the only one that can make it grow. We got that, right? But here's the incredible thing. He invites us to be instruments of his growth. To take the metaphor to the extreme, here's what the Corinthians are doing. They're saying, imagine you walk into a beautiful garden. Imagine right now you're walking into a beautiful garden, and over in the corner there's a shovel and there's a water hose. And there are people gathered around the shovel and the water hose, and they're arguing about which one is more important for the garden. That's what they're doing. Wouldn't it be weird if people were arguing about that? But that's what they're doing. The Corinthians, they're not looking at the gardener saying, oh, what an awesome gardener you are, God. They're looking at the shovel and going, what a great shovel you are, Paul. What a great water hose you are, Apollos. And all of a sudden, the church is divided over who is the better instrument. Paul says, clue phone. You're missing the whole point. Neither I or Apollos cause the growth. It's all about Jesus. He's the gardener of this church. 
Here's what I am. I'm just a tool in the hand of Jesus. So is Apollos. We're on the same team. We have the same purpose. We are co-workers. Beautiful word there. Co-workers in Christ Jesus. But he's the gardener. And that is what happens, I will tell you right now, when a church is walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Not jealousy and quarreling. Not backbiting and division. But a sense of each person using the gift God has given them for the sake of the garden that God is growing. That's when a church is walking in the spirit. Listen, some of you are shovels. Are you shoveling? Some of you are water hoses. Are you watering? We're on the same team. We're not competing against each other, but if I'm growing and I'm maturing, I understand that my life is meant to be given away in service to God. As Jeff said last week, that's really what it means to have the mind of Christ. Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, and we share in that mission. We offer ourselves the shovels and water hoses knowing I can't cause anybody to grow, but gosh, I get to play a part. What would be better than that? What could be better than that? If I'm walking in my flesh, though, here's what I've learned about myself. I don't care about other people. I only care about myself. I think that's what Paul's talking about when he calls them babies. Babies don't care about other people. They only care about themselves. They can't see beyond their own needs and their own wants and their desires. And Paul says it's time for us to grow up, to mature, to see our lives as an opportunity to give them away. God will produce the harvest, but the mystery is he calls you to join him. Some of you are called to be planters. Some of you are called to be waterers, but we're all in the same team because we're all joined together by the same spirit. As Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Oh, Cherry Hills, my prayer is that we would be a church that is united in the spirit of God to be shovels and water hoses and picks and whatever else God calls us to do to cultivate the garden that he's given us here in Springfield. So as we close, here's the question this passage challenged me to consider this week. Am I growing in maturity? Am I growing in maturity as I abide in Christ? Can you see evidence in your inward character? Do you have an ever-increasing desire to serve others? He wants to help us grow. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us behind, but you sent one just like you, the Holy Spirit of God, who lives in us and who shows us a better way how to live. Jesus, we want to take time uh, this morning to acknowledge that we go to other sources for growth, that we find ourselves so easily pulling away from you. we just take time to confess that to you. Confession is such a gift. There are ways that we're walking in our flesh and not in the spirit. Reveal that to us right now. Help us to acknowledge that.
do that, we receive the promise that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Praise God. Now, Lord, we pray that we will step into the abiding relationship you invite us to. We want to see growth and transformation both inwardly and outwardly, but we recognize we cannot do that apart from you. So help us to be individuals and help us to be a church that roots ourselves deeply in you, in your word, in your love, in your grace and mercy. And as we do that, that we could be instruments in what you're doing in this world. We pray as Jesus told us to pray, that you would send out workers into his harvest field. May that be us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.